0: I'm Amy Antonucci and I'm happy to be welcoming you to our True Tales Live Zoom show on November 24th, 2020. It's our last show of the year. Thanks to everyone watching and listening and especially to those who are here in our live online audience. Our mission at True Tales Live is to provide a space for people to tell their first person experience stories stories that reflect our community's personal and cultural diversity and help us bridge differences and build understanding and respect for everyone. We are so happy to be here with you, even on Zoom. And we do have some suggestions for making the most of this online format. Since we believe that storytelling is really an exchange between the tellers and listeners, here is how we're asking you to help us keep that alive. First, if you have your video on, you can have big physical reactions to what's happening. There's some there, woo, yeah, excellent. Um, You can cheer, you can cry, you can shake your fists, come up with some fun ones. You can also express your reactions in the chat box, which is open for reactions and also questions. We will save that chat um, and share it with the tellers later. Um, as well as you use it because later on, there will be an actual conversation that we'll be having that David will lead. And some of those questions can be actually asked of our tellers. So our general theme for fall 2020 has been shelter in stories. We asked ourselves, where do we take shelter when things go wrong? And felt that really, very often it's with each other that we find comfort and strength and our three tellers tonight are going to speak specifically to being being seen and heard an important part of what it can mean to be sheltered and cared for so we're going to hear from chris newcomb nina lasiga and also myself amy antonucci pat spaulding is our mc She's going to introduce each teller. And join me in welcoming her to our Zoom stage. Yay, Pat. All righty. Happy to be here.
1: Hello, everybody. Um, It's my pleasure to run it right back to Amy and introduce her tonight as our first teller. Amy Antonucci is our True Tales Live announcer. She's worked with this program since its inception in 2014, including telling her own stories and running our workshops. For almost 30 years, Amy has also been involved in agriculture, the arts, and activism. All these things that begin with A, like Amy uh, in Seacoast, New Hampshire. These, uh, These days, she's especially happy to have plenty of work to do at her homestead in Barrington, New Hampshire, where she tends to her animals and gardens. Amy has told us numerous stories about her father and uh, mostly about his later years when she helped take care of him. Well, tonight, he's going to be featured once again in a story titled, Taking Sides. Amy, take it away.
0: Thank you, Pat. So, when I was growing up, my family had a strict ban on talking politics. We fought about almost everything else, unfortunately, but not that. I assumed that this was my mother's rule since my mother made the rules. And because the conversation conversation tended to go like this, a vaguely political topic would come up, Irene would say, I cannot stand listening to your father about politics. Never again. John would chuckle and duck his head and say, oh, Irene, I'm okay. To which she would just shake her head and move on. All I wanted was like any kid really, to connect to these people, my parents, to feel like we were on the same side. As my Sicilian father said, blood is thicker than water. My Irish mother, on the other hand, had stopped speaking to her entire family by the time I was 10. So I was a good girl, trying to get on their good side, if I could find one, rather than developing my own understanding of or views on political issues. Then our lives shifted. I grew up and went off on my own to college, leaving behind my parents' house and their rules. That first year, I took intro to women's studies and my eyes were just open to the importance of political decisions in all of our lives. I was fascinated and just not interested in being silent about this anymore. Meanwhile, without me at home to help my mother as her multiple sclerosis worsened, My father retired early from his job as a physicist with the U.S. Department of Defense. It turned out that working there had actually been stifling his politics as much as my mother had. So ironically, after we'd managed to fight about everything else, our political coming outs landed us more and more on the same page. These people were skilled at turning any seemingly small subject into a true battle. Walking the dock, cleaning the house, what restaurant to go out to, what my father wore, how to pack my mother's wheelchair into the car. But we found more common ground than ever when we started to talk politics. Our meeting of the minds unfolded over a number of years. I became involved in feminist organizations on campus, address, addressing issues like sexual assault, media depictions of women, reproductive rights, When I tentatively brought this up with my mother, she was interested, agreeable, and actually wanted ideas for me on what she could read to learn more. On some of these calls home from college, my mother would inform me that no, I couldn't speak with my father, the man who had recently retired to take care of her full time because he wasn't there. Your father's out again. He found another anti-war lecture by Noam Chomsky or, or maybe Howard Zinn. This was around the time of the first US bombings of Iraq. I hadn't intended to bring up my anti-war point of view. They beat me to it. I was hesitant to bring up gay rights. They were Catholic, and I thought this might be going too far. But then I heard about their trip to Vermont with another couple, one of whom also had MS, to witness their legal civil union. Seeing these beautiful photos of my parents at a lesbian wedding, I guess I looked surprised. (laughs) My father got a little defensive and told me, you know, they need to be protected from medical situations. One of them has MS, you gotta understand. However, I also started seeing why my mother had probably made this rule in the first place. Even when agreeing with my father, he sometimes got so worked up that he would yell You don't understand. Why aren't you on my side? He was passionate about these subjects, but his ability to listen to others was poor. For instance, he felt deeply about Palestinian rights, a loaded issue in general. When I talked to him about it, we agreed almost entirely, but he still stomped his feet and shook his head at me. I was especially frustrated especially frustrated to receive a six page letter from him afterwards, bemoaning my lack of understanding on the issue. Even factoring that in, I realized that our household was in the minority to have the least divisive topic during our holiday meal turn out to be politics. Then life shifted again. My mother died and after 20 years of taking care of her, my father was lost. My conversations with him went from every month or two to daily as he flailed about. I went, started driving down a couple of hours to see him regularly. He was sad and often demanding and self-centered, but he was also funny and engaging. I started to finally feel like we were actually on the same side. I looked for more ways to keep connecting that would speak to both of us seemed like political activist events were an obvious choice. First, I went with a simple idea. I brought the first season of The West Wing to my father's home. Progressive politics, great writing, actors he'd even recognize. I imagined us laughing and discussing the issues, looking forward to more episodes. However, I quickly saw that he was struggling to keep up with the fast moving dialogue. After about 10 minutes, I paused and asked, Dad, what do you think? Oh, it seems interesting, Amy. Do you understand what just happened? No, what happened? I explained the scene to him, who each person was, what they said and done. Oh, that is interesting, Amy. It was just hard to hear them. Should we watch more? Yeah, yeah, let's see some more. Maybe with some background now, he'd get it. I let a few more scenes play and paused again. So dad, did you get that? Amy, they talk real fast. Tell me, what did they say? We watched the whole episode this way. The 45 minute show took two hours for us to get through. This was way more work than fun. We were exhausted by the end. So I searched for other things to do. Through our peace group, Uh, We learned about a talk coming up by an Iraqi-Palestinian man to update people on the current situation in Iraq. It would be in Cambridge, a half-hour drive from my father's house, going out, seeing a live person. This seemed more engaging. We picked up my father, my partner Steve, driving, headed into the city, parked a couple blocks away, found the venue easily. The speaker was engaging, informative. It was a small group. We learned a lot. We felt a lot to hear from someone who was watching his country being destroyed. When he ended formally, former, formally, he stayed for questions and a line formed. My father hung around the end of the queue. Amy, he was really good, don't you think? I was so impressed. We should get in the line. Do you have a question? I don't know. I just think we should talk to him some more. Well, okay, dad, if you want. It was about 9 p.m. After dropping off my dad, Steve and I still had nearly two hours to go to reach home. So after a few minutes, I prompted, maybe we should just head out, dad. It's getting late. Unless you really have something you want to discuss with him. I don't know, Amy, he was just really good and I, I wanted to talk to him more, not about anything exactly. I put on my coat, brought my dad his and I started to usher him out. Dad, Steve and I still have a long drive home. You don't want us to have to drive back too late, do you? No, no, you should be safe out there. Right, and the speaker's probably tired. Look, almost everyone else is gone. Yeah, I guess. He allowed me to begin steering him towards the door slowly, but his expression was pinched. He clearly felt like I was against him and taking something away from him. We made it through the door into the cold November air, heading towards the car. My father's steps were tight and short and painfully slow. Steve and I pulled ahead. We were discussing the program and what actions we might bring back to our peace group. Before we turned the corner onto the street where we parked, I glanced back to check on my dad's progress, only to see an empty sidewalk. Steve, we lost my father. Scanning farther back, I saw him, small, hunched over, and moving away from us. We jogged back towards him, catching up at the door to the venue. He was holding the door and pulling, but to no avail, because it had been locked by now. Dad, what are you doing? Amy, I really got to talk to that guy. He was really good. Yeah, I know, but they've locked up. Everyone has to go. There had to be an end at some point, right? I guess... Looking morose, he released the doorknob and took a step back. I coaxed him back towards the car. This time I walked with him. To keep him with me and moving, I started talking politics with him. So dad, tell me what you liked about the talk tonight. Well, he gave us all this information. He's seen it himself. How bad it is there in Iraq? The war, it's wrong, Amy. His voice was rising. I know. You you know I agree with you, right? Yeah. Gave me a sideways glance and seemed to take a breath. He smiled. Yeah. Amy, it's nice we agree. You're on my side. I smiled back. Yeah, it was nice to finally be on the same side.
1: Good one, Amy. That was uh, a couple of laugh out loud moments. Too bad you couldn't hear them. (laughs) Yeah, um, very rare that uh, politics are the thing that uh, got you guys together, especially in the holiday season, Thanksgiving. Next up we have Chris Newcomb from Portland, Maine. He's a storyteller who's been writing and telling tales for a long time. Recently, he retired from 30 years of teaching gifted and talented students in Maine public schools. Besides writing and telling stories whenever and wherever he can, Chris operates an art studio where he makes steel sculptures. Like to see some of those sometime, Chris. Every day, each of us must decide how to respond to what life brings or throws at us, no matter how privileged or underprivileged we may be we still wrestle with the same demons and hope for the same joys chris's story tonight is a true tale about being seen at a time when his world had collapsed into a dark lonely place where he felt abandoned by life its title is hi chris or hi chris all right chris
2: Come hi. On. Thank you. So uh, when I was a kid, I, both, both of my parents were serious alcoholics. I mean, serious. They, they didn't stop drinking for, my father never stopped drinking his entire life. And uh, he basically abandoned my brothers and I and my mom, our whole family. He abandoned us to alcohol. That was a choice that he made. And uh, he never once, my, my mom finally left him and he never once visited us, he never gave a gift, he never gave a penny in alimony. I mean, he just, what he gave was he put his time into alcohol. He was willing to, he always had money for alcohol. It's amazing. My mom was also a ravage. I mean, she was a serious drunk as well, but she finally found AA and stopped drinking. And she hasn't had a drink in over 60 years. And it was wonderful um, that she did that and I'm thankful and it saved her life and it saved our life, however, the truth was that she abandoned us to her recovery. And so we never saw her she was at meeting after meeting night after night after night, and that went on for years. Um, and so, but this is not a story about how awful my parents were because they both were good people and they did the best they could with the resources they had. And my mom at 97 right now, she adores me and she would do anything for me. But. It's a story about being a child and not being seen and being abandoned in that kind of a life. And as you grow up, there's just this part of you that can't, you just need to be seen, you feel invisible. And if you're lucky enough and you're great at sports, you can be seen. And if you're good at uh, academics, you could be seen. Or if you're great at theater, you could be seen. I just didn't happen to be good at any of those things. I wasn't seen and felt just totally invisible. And it wasn't until I was about in my forties that this began to take a change. And one, it was a spring morning, it was April, and I woke up and the abandonment, the loneliness, the invisibility was just, I woke up with that just over my shoulder, it was horrible. And uh, I decided to go out to the beach. And on the way to the beach, I thought, you know, what, what is it I need? And I realized all I really need is just to be seen. I just, I just wish the universe would say like, you know, hi, Chris, you know, I see you. And, uh, and that really was all I wanted, just to be seen, to be, to be seen. So it was like, kind of like, yeah, I want the universe to say, hi, Chris. And I thought it was silly, but at the same time, that's what I wanted. So anyway, I head out to Scarborough Beach. And uh, these are the days when you could go early in the morning. There were no gates, there were no locks, there were none of that kind of stuff. And so I drove in. It was probably 5.30 in the morning, something like that. And as I'm walking up the pathway to the dunes, I realized suddenly exactly what I wanted. I wanted to find a completely whole sand dollar. And, uh, you know, there were sand dollars on the beach all the time, but I had never found a completely whole one. So I just started running, and I ran up the path, and I ran down onto the beach, and I'm just running and running. I'm not looking at the sand. I'm just running, and I jump in the air. I spread my legs. I land with a thud on the sand, and right between my feet is a perfectly round, whole, white sand dollar. <laughs> yeah, pretty cool, but Doubting Thomas that I am, I think I'm at a beach. Yeah, you know, There's sand dollars here. And yes, that's cool. I've never found one. And this is a pretty strange way to find them. But yeah. And then I thought about the yin and yang of life. And I thought, well, you know, if there's a white sand dollar, why isn't there a black sand dollar? So I thought, that's it. I want to find a perfectly whole round black sand dollar. I didn't know if they existed. I turned and I started running up the beach. And again, I just ran, I ran, I didn't look at the beach, I just ran, and at some point I jumped in the air, I spread my legs, boom, I land with a thud. And I'm telling you the truth. Between my feet was a perfectly whole round black sand valley. You'd think I'd be overjoyed. <laughs> I'd be like, this was it. Wow, you know, this, and it was cool, it was wonderful, but there was still part of me, it's a beach, you know, and I i don't know. And I was, I was glad I felt better than I did when I started the day, but eh, still wasn't enough. So I head into town and I go into Falmouth and I stop at a Rite Aid. And I can't remember what I was buying, but whatever I bought, I bought um, with a check. And so I'd written the check with this pen that I had, and it's a pen that I have to draw with and, and to write with. And it's just one, it wasn't an expensive pen, it's like a dollar ninety-eight, but. You could, there was something about it. It was a felt tip pen, fine point, And you could draw as fast as you wanted or write as fast as you wanted and it would keep up with you. And that was a really hard find. And so I really loved this pen. Anyway, I, I get done, I write the check and I'm looking around for the cap for the pen and I can't find it. And I look on the you know, conveyor belt, it's not there. I look at all the candy, I look down, nothing. I check my pockets, no pen cap. Well, I can't really keep the pen because it's felt tip. If I put it in my pocket, it'll bleed into the fabric it's going to dry up, you know, without the pen cap. So I go outside and I see a trash can. It's early morning. I, you know, it's one of those trash cans that has a round lid with a little thing. And I push the thing open and I drop the pen cap. I mean, the, the pen into the trash can. And I go over to a hardware store and I buy something there. And I remember I paid with cash and I'm looking in my pocket for change. And lo and behold, <laughs> there's the pen cap. You know, and I know I had checked that pocket, but you know how that goes. I checked everywhere and still didn't see it. Anyway, I find my pen cap and I'm really excited. Oh, yay, this is great. And I'm thinking, well, you know, I threw my pen away, but it's early morning. You know, there won't be much trash. So I go over to the trash can and I lift that lid up and I look inside and it was early morning. There was coffee and donuts and cream cheese and all kinds of morning sticky trash in the trash can. But I looked down in there and there was a white styrofoam cup and it was completely dry and inside of it was my pen. So I pull the thing out and when I pull the cup out, there written in blue ballpoint ink on the side of that styrofoam cup are the words, hi, Chris. Now I know that somebody else named Chris was given a cup of coffee that morning, but that Chris dropped that cup into that trash can unbeknownst that I would pick it up. And somehow the universe got me to pick that dang thing up. So that morning I'm feeling, I want to be seen. I want, hey, universe, say hi. And it did. Hi, Chris. And I got a black sand dollar, a white sand dollar. I got my pen back and I also cap back. And I also got the universe to say, hi, Chris. It's amazing. Now, do I believe that most of you will believe this story? Absolutely not. People find this too far fetched to believe. But if one person hears this, it inspires them, if they feel abandoned, if they feel lonely, I hope that maybe this will encourage them because all I know is from that day forward, I've never been able to say, I haven't been seen. Thanks.
1: Oh, that's great, Chris. Thank you. (laughs) Um, I believe, I believe. Next up we have Nina Lasiga from Stratford Connecticut. She's a storyteller and a ukuleleist. How many of us can make that claim? After 30 <laughs> we have another one. after a 30 year career as a corporate chemist, another claim that probably few of us can make. She embarked upon a second career as a performing artist. Nina has performed on PBS's Stories from the Stage, is a member of Story City Troop in Connecticut, runs the Bridgeport Story Exchange, and as if that's not enough, is also one of the organizers of Pachacucha Nights in Bridgeport, a form of visual storytelling, which I'm anxious to try sometime. On past True Tales Live programs, Nina has shared stories about her uncommon adventures outside of her comfort zone. Well, tonight, she'll take us back to her childhood and introduce us to the comfort of having an uncommon mother in her story title, Lift and Separate. Nina?
3: Thank you, Pat. Okay. Some are round, some are flat, some are uneven and some are droopy, but my mama's titties were pointed. She swore by the power of Playtex bras to lift and separate her titskies. It was 1961, I was five years old and we were living in Brooklyn, New York. I was seated in our tiny kitchen and it smelled like smoky bacon and eggs and slightly burnt toast. My mom just cooked me some breakfast and she served it. She was in her nightgown. She said, Ninochka, enjoy your breakfast. I'll be right back. I took a few bites and then I got lonely. Mommy, what are we going to do today? Mommy comes into the room and she's got her skirt on, but she is naked from the waist up and her titskis are hanging and she had big nipples and they were pointing to the floor. I couldn't get over what they looked like undressed. She looked like an old lady, but when she had clothes on, they were nice and perky like a young one. And I also couldn't believe that she was so calm standing there. How could she show her titskis to anyone, including me? She answered my question. She said, later on, When your two sisters wake up, you know, it's summertime and they don't have to get up right away. We're going to go for a walk in the neighborhood and visit a store. My mommy was so confident and she had style. Daddy came into the room. He had his briefcase in his hand. He didn't seem surprised or shocked that she was half naked. He looked kind of happy. He gave her a goodbye kiss. And off he went to work. I love mommy telling me all kinds of stories when she was growing up, especially when she was a teenager. Boys would fight over who would sit on their handlebars as they rode their bicycles. Mommy never learned how to ride a bicycle or a car. She was just really flirty. And there was always someone around who would give her a lift. My mommy was beautiful. She had blonde hair and light blue eyes that danced when she spoke. She went to the famous Parsons School of Art Design. Her dream was to be a fashion designer. She made all of her clothes and ours. Her favorite outfit was a very slim dress with a scoop neckline. Discreet, but she said low enough To show what she called her cleavage, she wore her dress over her knees and accessorized with a handbag and matching shoes. My mommy made all the clothes because it was cheaper to do that, money was tight. And she made our dresses to match hers, except for ours were straight at the waist and big skirts that were held up with crinolines and, And we always dressed up no matter where we went outside. Well, it was 11 a.m. and we went outside and she put two of us in this Cadillac stroller. It was shiny black and it had really big white wheels. And my older sister would actually hold on to the buggy. Outside, it was gray. We lived on a commercial street. There were gray sidewalks and gray parking meters and gray storefronts. But when we went one block away, it was full of color. The houses were different colors. They had green lawns and flowers and all of these fancy statues, the half hour walk really didn't take very long. But you know what? One of the things that I was kind of upset of as, as a child was that none of the other women in the neighborhood approved a mommy. They didn't look or act anywhere like her. They talked about her. They said things, you know, pointed to her. They called her names. They didn't dress anything like her. They dressed in button shirts all the way up to the neck. I so wanted mommy to be popular. They never invited her to any of of their parties. My wish was that we would be more like everyone else. It made me really sad. Well, we got to the butcher shop. Mommy parked the stroller outside and we went inside holding hands. And the the man behind the counter was all in white, white shirt, white pants, white hat, white apron. And the counters were glass and white and they were gleaming. He said, how can I help you? And mommy said, oh, I'd like a quarter pound of ham, please. Not too thin and he slices a piece of ham and he picks it up and he dangles it and he says, is this thick enough? Mommy turns to us and says something to us in Russian. And I don't understand Russian, but I know a couple of words and one of them is ice cream, Marajana. And so I got the sense that if we said what mommy wanted us to say, there was an ice cream in it for us. Well, anyway, as soon as soon as he dangled that slice, we started to scream, Mommy, we're hungry. When are we going to eat lunch? And she said, soon, girls, don't worry, you'll eat soon. And the man, he slices another two slices and gives me and my two sisters a free piece of meat. A quarter pound of bologna, please. He picks up the piece of bologna. How about this? That's terrific mommy we're hungry when are we going to eat lunch and she said girls be patient lunch will be as soon as we get home and the man slices another two pieces of bologna and he hands them to me and my two sisters well i noticed every time that mommy bent over when she was ordering the the, the lunch meat and her titskis kind of popped up a little bit over her, her dress. And the man just seemed so happy to help her. She says, now I'd like a chi- one of those fresh chickens. I would like one, three pounds, please. Let me see. Oh yeah, that one looks great. Let's, let's try that one. He puts on the scale and he goes, hmm, it's over three pounds. But you know what? It's okay. Let's call it three pounds even. When we got home, mommy served us lunch. But first she said, now girls, you had the meat in your sandwich. So here's the bread, tomato, cucumber and mayonnaise. Enjoy your lunch. And I was so confused. I, I was disappointed. I was speechless because she was kind of right. Money was tight. And we lived from paycheck to paycheck. Um, on, Daddy got paid on Fridays and mon- money ran out way before then. On Thursdays, mommy used to, instead of having us cut out paper dolls, she'd have us cut out store coupons. And she'd have my older sister add them up as a math exercise. It was fun. She also looked for all kinds of free things for us to do. Her favorite thing was to take us to New York City, the NBC television studios in Rockefeller Center to see TV show tapings. And today she took her best friend and her two children. When we got to the, the line to the TV show, it was long. And when we got to the front, the man said, tickets please. Mommy opened up her pocketbook frantically looking for tickets and then said, Oh my gosh! Mommy love forgot the tickets on the kitchen counter. And we scream, "Mommy, how could you do this?" Of course, again, she first told us in Russian that if we told we, we, if we answered the right way, there was an ice cream in it for us. And so Mommy bends over and her titskis are puffing up just a little bit as she pulls out the Kleenex. And she goes, here, children, wipe your eyes. I'm sorry you're so upset. And the man goes, listen, it was an accident. Why don't you come in? Well, years, well, you know what? Mommy never had a ticket for a show. And one day we went to see a television show at the NBC studios that featured a clown in prizes. We got up to the front and mommy's frantically looking for her tickets and the man goes, wait a minute, I remember you. You're the lady that never has any tickets. Well, I want to let you know that today's show, there are no tickets. It's an employee appreciation event for the children of the people who work here. But I don't want to disappoint your children. So please come in. Years later, as a teenager, I was sitting on Coney Island beach on a a, um, beach towel, looking at the Atlantic ocean and it was lunchtime. And I was about to bite into this scrumptious sandwich. It had Italian bread that my mother's girlfriend who was with us, her husband baked it just that morning at the Italian bakery. And as I was about to take that bite, I thought, wait a minute. Do you remember all those times where we went to the butcher and he gave gave us free meat? And then our sandwiches at home were just bread, cucumber, tomato, and mayonnaise. And my mother's girlfriend turns to her and says, what butcher? And mommy answers, oh, the one in our neighborhood, the one on, on Church Avenue. Her girlfriend replies, I never got any free meat from the butcher. And hearing that, I realized that my mommy used her beauty and her sex appeal to provide for our family. She provided all kinds of experiences and goods that we couldn't afford any other way. I no longer felt sad that we were so unlike the other families in the neighborhood I felt proud because being different was actually better and we had so much fun. I was proud of my mommy. I appreciated her. I felt so loved. Thank you.
1: Thanks, Nina. That was, (laughs) that was lovely. I think David's going to be coming up next.
0: David, you're still muted. He's working on it. I can tell. There we go. There we go.
4: So I was starting to say, this is the interviewer conversation part of our program. It gives us a chance to get to know a little bit more about our storytellers and their stories. And the way this works, I'll start by asking each one of them a single question. Uh, we'll hear what they have to say. We'll go one by one by one in the order that the stories were told. And then we'll open up to your questions. So as Amy mentioned, you can use that chat function to send in questions Amy will collate them and we'll get through as many as we can. So as I said, we'll go in the order of our tellers. So Amy, we'll start with you. And from True Tales Live, most people know you as a storyteller and a storytelling teacher, but you also do have this long personal history as an activist. And in fact, recently there was for the the Northeast Storytellers a panel on the relationship between storytelling and activism. So I was wondering if you could share with us your views on storytelling and social activism.
0: Sure. Um, I guess, you know, the one thing that I thought for a long time as an activist who kind of specialized in education um, was that if we got people the right information, they would understand and make different choices. And while that can certainly be true, and I'm a big believer in getting people good, real information, at a certain point we, we did start to understand that it was much more complicated that, than that. And that is where, I don't know if people know, the Syracuse Cultural Workers Art, art Collective, um, they do beautiful art and their one of their, their sayings is, it is not our Um, ability to inform but our ability to inspire that will turn the tides and what we just started to see is that it was through stories that people really connected and could open their hearts and get beyond sort of the the thought and the no that's not right and that sort of struggle and really make those connections bridge those differences and start to see each other in a much more human um, positive sort of light just just seemed like more and more we see that that is how humans tend to think and is a really important way um, to help folks understand other points of view, including ourselves, you know, that all of us by hearing these other points of view from people, Gain so much and understand so much and can really um, see the world differently.
4: Great, thanks. Chris, you're up next. And uh, in your bio, you note that you make steel sculptures, uh, some of which I saw on your website. And uh, really very nice. And uh, I should be asking you a storytelling question, but in an alternate universe, I'm a really excellent steel welder and a garden art sculptor. So I wondered if you could share with us some of your ideas about storytelling and sculpture.
2: Well, that's, that's awesome. I want to go touch on something Amy said. Uh, you know, the thing I realized a long time ago was that logic does not work for people. know Logically, for example, we know we shouldn't smoke, but how many millions and millions and millions of people smoke? They know better but it's, it's the heart where we move and that's what changes things. And the arts are all about reaching into the heart. And that's why storytelling, the visual arts, the performing arts, all of that is what, that really is what moves people, not logic. Um, so, and as an artist, uh, as a storyteller, but also as a visual artist, one of the things, <laughs> the work that I've been doing the last few years is a series that, that I call Aliens. And there, I wish I had a picture to show you right now, um, but they're, uh, they're just sort of these odd creatures. They're about five feet tall. And I usually did my steel work uh, as, um, well, let me see. What have I got here that I could show you uh, without tearing it out the wall? Um, oh, well, um, let me see if you can see this. Can you see this little guy here, that figure? So that's, that was a little figure, sort of a hieroglyphic kind of image. That I was doing um, with printmaking, and then I started getting involved in steel. I thought, wouldn't it be cool to make these things five or six feet tall, put them in the yard? And uh, anyway, I fell absolutely in love with the whole process of uh, working in steel, and um, so I started making these things. But then, about four years ago, something happened that made me feel like I was an alien in my own country, and. I realized that that's just nothing. I woke up one morning in November, four years ago, and realized what's going on here. I mean, so I started making these aliens, and they're just kind of representation of, you know, how I felt. And what's been really interesting, I I started to work with color for the first time with steel, because I did everything with steel, let it just rust. But I started working with bright, bright colors, and people have responded so favorably to them. And... uh, I've got some on the Portland trails. They've put them on the trails, which are really cool. Um, and anyway, it's just been really fun to do that. But again, it's a way that I can visually, I can say something visually, um, as well as it's another way of telling a story.
4: Thank you. Well, well said. Nina, you're batting cleanup cleanup here. Um, and we may have covered this, some of this back in the PPM TV on stage days. We, all remember PPM TV days, seems like a lifetime ago. Anyway, uh, it seemed like quite a jump from being a corporate chemist to being a storyteller and a ukuleleist. So I wonder if you could share with us that journey or at least a part of it.
3: Sure. I'll be, I'll be honest with you, I was always an artist, but it was on the back burner. Uh, I did art in the evenings and on the weekends. And when I retired, I bring the art to the front and now chemistry is only in the kitchen.
4: (laughs) So the, the chemistry was your first profession, but it's not like it was a jump to being a storyteller or ukuleleist because art was always part of your sort of life process, is that what you're saying?
3: Right, so uh, I, I, I actually was performing all, all along, but not as a storyteller, as a, a dancer and a musician. And I started storytelling six years ago when I found a message in a Coke bottle on the Connecticut shore. And um, that was a dream come true. It was from a little boy with a big dream. And um, the the kind of funny part about it is that the bottle only went a half a mile and it was only in the water for one day. But I was so (laughs) thrilled. I put a second note in the bottle and sent it back out. And it got found like two weeks later across the Long Island Sound, which is like 29 miles in Port Jefferson, New York. And so that was the... The impetus, I have a really big story to tell because this little kid, he made the day of so many different adults. And so he also taught me that impossible dreams are possible. And so I went out and I um, told this story on a Connecticut stage and people listened. And uh, I said, that felt good. And so I did it again and I did it again and I did it again you were hooked. I was hooked.
4: All right. Thank you very much, uh, Nina, and thank each of you. Amy, in your role now as collator, you may have some questions for yourself, um, but have you got some questions to uh, from our uh, chat? Yeah. Uh, um, and each of our, or any of our tellers.
0: Yeah. Um, Kamisha is wondering how long Chris has been telling
2: stories. Uh, All of us have been telling stories our whole lives. That's what we do, I think. But uh, it wasn't really until, oh, still mid nineties or was it around the late nineties, I think, um, that I finally sort of took myself seriously. My brother, my older, one of my older brothers is a great storyteller. And I just always thought he and my mother, they both told fabulous stories. I always thought they were the storytellers. And then uh, I took a class. Some of you might know Michael Howard. He was an actor that used to live in, in Portland area. He's from Kittery, I think. Um, tremendous. He did a lot of Shakespeare, but he did a, a storytelling workshop that I took and it literally changed my life. The very first night, it was unbelievable. And uh, And, you know, he did this thing with just to, you know, think of your of a, your favorite storyteller and just think of all the senses. What do you remember from? What did you see? What did you smell? What did you hear? What did you taste? You know, all those kind of things. And of course I thought of my brother. And so the first tale I told was this tale about him telling a tale, but the room it was in and all the every, and it just, it was wonderful. And then I just couldn't stop. It was too much fun. I've been an actor and a writer, but I love storytelling more than any of that.
4: We just had a little (laughs) adventure here, pizza set off a fire alarm.
0: (laughs) Um, Some of these are are comments, which we love, and you are welcome to keep putting in here into the um, chat. I think Kamisha made a nice point that being seen is something that most of us, all of us want, right? (laughs) She's asking you, Chris. So, yeah, I mean, I think especially for those of us who are interested in telling stories, that is a, a piece of why, wouldn't you say, other storytellers?
2: Yeah. Yeah.
4: Well, I guess I would say it's a willingness to be seen. I think some of us who are less extroverted than others of us I nonetheless have a kind of a motive force or inner push, I kind of a feel compelled to share stories, um, but it's maybe the sharing that's more important than the being seen, does hmm. that make any sense?
2: I got to-
1: do it because um, it was like, does anybody else feel like this? <laughs> you know, it was a connection. Has anybody else had experiences like this? I didn't want to be alone, I guess, with it, or I didn't want to be weird.
4: Mm. <laughs> but yeah. being storytellers, we are weird. I mean, weird in a good way, right? I mean, that's sort of what you're saying in a way, Chris, is a willingness to be seen, wanting to be seen, but a, uh, at the same time a willingness to be seen.
2: Mm. Not everybody I, and, uh, Because I do art and teaching and you know, acting and writing and all those different things, and, st- you know, and storytelling, there's a lot of concern, you know, I have concern about, am I trying to justify myself? Am I trying to be seen? Am I trying, you know, because growing up not being seen, there's a sense of overdoing it, trying to be seen. But I came to the point where I realized, no, that the reason I do this is because it satisfies something deeply within me. I don't need to justify my existence. I'm not here to do these things to prove that, I, you know, that I'm worth something. I do this only because it's, if I don't do it, I'm, I just am very empty. But I'm, I do it because it fulfills something in me and hopefully it does something for the other people. John wants to
4: get in.
0: John, can you uh, go ahead? Yes. John is going to share with us Nina's mom.
4: Ah, uh, what a photo.
3: Nina, do you want to say
0: anything
4: yeah. about your mom? Yeah, this is... How beautiful.
3: She loved taking glamour shots. This, I believe she was a bridesmaid. And back in those days, everything was rented. People asked me, did she make this outfit? No, but that kind of just captures, you know, her pizzazz and her joy for life. Her name was Raisa. Thank you for showing it
0: nice thanks for sharing it with us oh and that's my parents there's uh irene and johnny as you can see they're always in this this is the normal because my mom's in her wheelchair my dad's pushing her around but really she's pushing him around, around. to be honest <laughs>
4: um thanks for sharing those john
0: yeah we are working on figuring out how to use these um photos something we can do here on zoom and um yeah
4: we have one or two more questions or comments amy i'm
0: checking that out um and let's see yeah we have a couple more minutes for this part of it um mostly folks are just very happy Um, and we'll share some of these nice. Oh, actually, you know what? Here, I'm going to share this from Beth. Um, This is again on this, this, the subject of seeing, seeing and hearing each other. And Beth reminds us that the story she told was called, I see you. Um, And, you know, I, I, think that there's a number of reasons that people tell stories. And I think being seen, being heard, sharing, connecting, helping each other, you know, there's a number of things that go into the impetus to push. And many of us are, are very nervous about it, right? Anyone else out there get really nervous? Come on. I'm looking at a few of you. Yeah. <laughs> but it feels like it's worth doing. Um, We push ourselves for you know all those reasons.
4: Beth do you want to unmute yourself and say a few words in addition to your comment your chat comment?
3: Oh sure hi yeah I think it was it's that the quality of being seen in another's eyes you know and really seen for who you are I think is so fundamental to what the experience of love is and for us to like there's all this thing in our culture about being like self-reliant and, you know, a very individualist culture. And I think we've lost sight of how important that relational space is. So, and that, that I was telling kind of a love story but that experience of someone really taking you in fully as, as so much what love's about, you know. Yeah,
4: great story. Thanks, thanks for reminding us.
0: So it's really time to wrap up and I have some things to share, but, but David, did you wanna say? Anything for the wrap up? Time
4: for us to wrap up and then the dance party.
0: All right. So, folks, uh, first, just thank you so much for being with us and joining us in this whole new world. We've just completed our fall trial period uh, on Zoom. That was what we were going to do. And we think it worked. So we have just planned out a whole year of shows for 2021. We're going to be releasing the dates. They're always the last Tuesday in the month, and the different themes and plans uh, any minute now. So watch our website and our Facebook page. The, our website is truetaleslivenh.org, and there you're also going to find, or you will soon find, the links to register to the show for the shows. Our next show we're done for this year we, we're not doing a december show um it's going to be tuesday january 26 also seven to eight we were a little uh late tonight but we also want to let you know we need tellers for all of those upcoming shows we especially encourage attending our ongoing monthly workshops on zoom those are first tuesdays from seven thirty to 9 p.m And the next one will be December 1st. We are doing a December workshop. And in it, you can get feedback on your story and also practice telling on Zoom, which is a different experience and is really helpful to walk through um, before doing it live. So you can be in touch with us, info at truetaleslivenh.org. Maybe someone could put all these into the uh, chat. I'll bet Kamisha did, yeah, she's awesome. Um, to let us know, you know, that you want to be a teller and find out more. And also our website has the links for registering for the workshops. It's all free. Um, We just have a process to to do it for, you know, uh, security issues. So watch us on PPM TV, Portsmouth Public Media TV, Comcast Channel 98, Tuesdays and Thursdays, 8 p.m., Saturdays, 1 p.m., and anytime is video on demand, or you can listen to us as a podcast. Again, TrueTalesLiveNH.org makes it easy to just click and access all of those options. Um, a few people to thank quickly here, not everyone, but especially want to call out John Lovering, Pat Spaulding, David Frainer, Sarah Bedingfield, and Kamisha Foley. I'm Amy Antonucci. everyone. Thank you so much. We hope to see you again soon. Bye. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night. A nice Thanksgiving.